God's Word comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 5. We'll be reading just the first 13 verses. Well, that's all the whole chapter. The whole chapter tonight, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's Word. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, tonight in our study of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, uh, we are moving on to the next main section of this letter. Uh, chapters 1 through 4 form the first section when Paul is dealing with the difficulty of divisions in the church regarding their leaders. We've looked at that for the last several weeks together. In the context of that, Paul talks about wisdom and folly, the wisdom of God, the folly of the world. And he ended last time with saying they were not to be overly concerned about who their leader was, but also they should listen to him as their leader. And he is now, for the rest of this letter, going to give them instruction from the Lord because he is their apostle. And he's going to deal with other problems taking place in the Corinthian church. And this next section, chapters 5 and 6, are problems that have been reported to Paul. Things that have been told to him that he will now deal with in the Corinthian church. This section, chapters 5 and 6, deal with three different issues. The last issue that is dealt with 
is in the last half of chapter 6, chapter, uh, verses 12 through the end, where he deals with sexual immorality. The second issue, the middle issue he deals with, is in the first half of chapter 6, lawsuits among believers. And in chapter 5, we have the first issue that Paul is dealing with. And as I first read through this, I thought, oh, uh, he's dealing with sexual immorality again. That's going to be dealt with at the end of chapter 6. But he says right away here, it's reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Is he dealing with sexual immorality twice in this brief section? And I would suggest, no, he is not. He'll deal with the sexual immorality in the third part of this section, the end of chapter 6. What he's dealing with in chapter 5 is the church's response to the sexual immorality taking place. He's dealing with the fact that they were tolerant of sin in the church. Tolerance. Now, tolerance, to be sure, is a virtue. It is good to be tolerant of other people. It is good to be tolerant of other ideas. Uh, but what Paul is talking about here is not a godly tolerance that is based in love. He is talking about an ungodly tolerance of unrepented of sin. And so when you see the title of the sermon this evening, Tolerance in the Church, I want you to read that as a negative thing, as if it said immorality in the church or lawsuits in the church. These are bad things. Tolerance in the church as something negative. An ungodly tolerance for sin. And this text is certainly applicable to us today as it was to the Corinthian church. The church is often seen as intolerant. What's wrong with you people? Why can't you just all get along with each other? You're intolerant. But we're going to see that, that tolerance in the church is not necessarily a good thing. There is a proper intolerance, an intolerance for unconfessed, unrepented of sin that is required by God to be present in the church. What was going on that, that causes Paul to, to respond to the report he has heard? Verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. This was a report about what was going on. There was sexual immorality taking place in the church, and it must have been a fairly public thing, because Paul writing likely from Ephesus, he has heard about it. So this is not a secret sin being done quietly somewhere. This is an open, public relationship of immorality. Public, unconfessed sin. And look what he says here. He says, of a kind not even tolerated among the pagans. Think of the culture they lived in. We're talking about Corinth. Corinth, that pagan city, that immoral city. And Paul says there's immorality in the church that even the pagans, even the Corinthians wouldn't put up with. And how do you respond to it? What's your response? Verse 2, you are arrogant. An arrogance towards sin. 
Sin that is not proper in the church. From verse 6, your boasting is not good. Now, they weren't boasting about the sin taking place. They were boasting about their tolerance of that sin. Look how tolerant we are. Look how loving we are. Look how inclusive we are. Paul says this is not a good thing. And we, we, we hear that same type of language being used today. People come and they want to talk about difficulties in their life. That's okay. This is a safe space. We're inclusive. This is a no-judgment zone. As if these are good things. Now, I hope, I hope my office is all of those things. A safe space. It's a place where, where we can talk about important matters going on in your life. But let me tell you for sure, it's a judgment zone, okay? If you are living in a way that is contrary to God's word, I'm not going to say this is a safe space for you. We'll be tolerant with your sin. No judgments here. No, what should have happened, what they should have done when this open sexual immorality, what does he say? Ought you not rather to mourn a sorrow over sin? That is what their response should have been, not arrogance. Not tolerance, not we love you, just keep living the way you are. A sorrow for open, unrepented of sin. Mourning over sin. I think that's something that is so easily lost today. Mourning, sorrow over the sin that we commit. We become so accustomed to our sin, so casual with our sin. Oh, we'll ask God to forgive us very lightly at times, but there should be a sense of mourning. Our sin is an offense against God. It hurts our relationships with others. We like to make peace with our sin. There should be mourning and sorrow for sin. It's so easy to excuse. It's so easy to rationalize what we do. Paul says, no, ought you not rather have mourned? And he goes on, let him who has done this be removed from among you. A mourning for sin leading to a removal of that sin. And of course, what Paul's talking about here is church discipline. The church called to discipline its members. Paul says in verse 3, For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to, to deliver this man to Satan. Put him out of the assembly. This church discipline done by the elders in the church. Who are who are not allowed to be tolerant, who will not tolerate unconfessed, unrepented sin. And Paul says, when you meet together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, He is with you, and His power is with you, and you are to do what is necessary to remove the evil from your midst. This, this text echoing the truth of Matthew 18, where Jesus, talking about church discipline, talks about he is with the church. He is with the elders when they exercise that type of discipline. And that is same, the same today and true for our own elders. Oh, 
we can be so, so thankful that we have elders who will love us enough not to be tolerant, not to say, no judgments here, this is a safe place, live however you want. Elders who are willing to, in love, come to us and call us to repentance and plead with us to turn from our sinful ways. This is one of the blessings, one of the privileges of membership in the church. As members, the elders make a commitment to us that they will do that. They will love us enough not to let us live however we want, not to have an ungodly tolerance for sin, but they will love us enough to come and to remind us of God's call to faithful, obedient living. Paul says, you are to deliver this man over to Satan. Why? For the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This harsh pronouncement, this lack of tolerance, this judgment being given was so the man might be saved. It was for his restoration to fellowship with God and fellowship in the church. And he uses this rather strange, strange phrase, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. You're to deliver him over to Satan. That's what happens in church discipline. And we say, well, why, why, why does Paul use that phrase? It makes so much sense when we remember that Satan is a harsh taskmaster. Satan is a ruthless ruler. When we remember that the way of the sinner is hard, it might seem like living outside the bounds of God's law is a place of freedom. It is not. Living outside the bounds of God's law only leads to more and more slavery. If you wonder about that, if you wonder if living outside the bonds of God's law really is slavery, ask the person who cannot make it through one day without taking a drink from the bottle if that is freedom or if that is slavery. Ask the man who, who began just to dabble with internet pornography and now can't get enough of it. Is that freedom or is it slavery? Ask the one who is so concerned about materialism, always having the bigger and the better and the newest thing. Is that the path to freedom? It is slavery, enslaved to our stuff. Oh, the way of the sinner is hard. Deliver him over to Satan, because Satan is a ruthless ruler. Ask the prodigal son who wanted to have the good life who said, give me my inheritance now because I'm going to eat and drink and be merry and have everything I want. Where does the prodigal son end up, children? He ends up feeding the pigs and wishing he could eat what they were eating. The way of the sinner is hard.
deliver him up to Satan so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. That's the ultimate hope. That's the ultimate goal. That by delivering their flesh up to the ways of the world, that the ravages of sin itself will bring the wayward to the reality, this is no life at all. I need to confess my sin. I need to turn from my sin. I need to come back to the Lord and back to His people. That is always the goal. That is always the desire. It is for the salvation of those who are wayward, the salvation of those who are wandering. It's it's, it's for their sake that church discipline is exercised. But church discipline, this pronouncing of judgment, this lack of tolerance, is also for the sake of the whole body. It's for the sake of the church. Again, from verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And Paul is going to use a picture here about leaven. Leaven is like yeast, kids, uh, that goes into a batch of dough. Maybe, maybe, kids, uh, your mom likes to make homemade bread. Oh, my mom used to make homemade bread. It was so good. And what, what mom would do is she would have that dough and she'd put a little bit of yeast in, just a little packet of yeast put inside the dough. And she'd knead that yeast in and knead that yeast in. And that dough would start to grow and grow and grow. And she'd knead it down again. And that yeast would just work its way through all the dough, getting bigger and bigger and growing and growing. And Paul says that is what unconfessed, open sin is like in the church. It is like yeast in dough that grows and grows and grows. And we, we, we know how that would go. If, if a certain person can live a life of immorality, open, unchecked, and ungodly tolerance toward that, someone will say, well, look, if they can do that, well, then I certainly can do this. And it's usually something a little bit worse. Open, unconfessed immorality. And someone says, well, look at those two guys. Nothing's happening to them. Well, I'm going to live this way. And that yeast grows and grows and spreads throughout the body till pretty soon the church looks just like the world. There is no difference anymore. Paul says, verse 7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened, clean. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Christ has come as the perfect sacrifice for sin to remove all of those iniquities. Flee to Him. Embrace Him. Confess your sins. Trust in Him, for He has been sacrificed that we can be clean. And notice what he says here. Christ has been sacrificed. Christ, the Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It was part of the tradition in Jewish homes 
preparing for Passover, preparing for Passover, they would do all they could to clean the leaven out of the house. They'd remove all the leaven so that when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, all that leaven, a picture of evil, would be gone. Paul says, Christ, the Passover lamb, has already been sacrificed. You should have cleaned that leaven out long ago. He's already been sacrificed. Now live. Live those unleavened, clean lives. Not the old leaven of malice and evil, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The call to holy living. The call to live in accordance with with God's holy law. He says in verse 10, excuse me, verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And they had obviously misunderstood that instruction from Paul, because he says, now, I'm letting you know, I'm not meaning all the sexually immoral of the world, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters, since then you would need to leave the world. So he said, when I said don't associate with the sexually immoral, I'm not talking about your contacts with society with your unchurched neighbors. In fact, we need to have contacts with the immoral because otherwise we have no one to evangelize. Paul's saying don't ignore the world. Don't try to remove the church from the world. No, he says, verse 11, now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or idolatry or drunkard or rival or any of these things. He's not talking about taking the church out of the world. He's talking about removing the world from out of the church. Don't let those those unconfessed, unrepentant sins remain inside. Remove them from you. Purge the evil person from among you. Not taking the church out of the world, but taking the world out of the church. And then he says in verse 12, as he concludes this opening part of the second section, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. So he says there is a judgment. There's a standard for righteousness and for holiness. God will apply that standard to those outside the church. God himself will judge the world. He says, you are called. You are called to judge those within the church. Not an ungodly tolerance of sin, but a righteous judgment of how we are to live. We are called to judge. And now we don't allow someone to uh, improperly quote Matthew 7, verse 1, judge not. In fact, if you look at that text, that text actually says we should be judging. Paul echoes that here. Not judging the world, judging those inside the church. And that judgment is based upon the Word of God. God's own standard. God will judge those outside using His law. We are to judge those inside using the very same standard. The standard of the law of God. God's law is the 
limiting factor in our tolerance. We can tolerate different opinions. We can tolerate different applications of the law, but the limiting factor of our tolerance is it may not go beyond the law of God. We talked about last time, not beyond what is written, not beyond the revelation God has given to us. We may not take pride when we say, look how, look how tolerant we are, look how open we are, look how accepting we are. We'll accept anybody. No, God's law is the standard of right and wrong. Now, to be sure, we do welcome anyone from the world to come into the church. But we don't let them stay like the world then. We remind them of God's call to repentance, God's call to faith in Him, the reminder of Jesus Christ's blood shed for our sins, and that because of that, when we embrace Christ by faith, we now live a different life. We don't go back to the ways of the world. Jesus Christ has been sacrificed. We remove that old leaven, and now we pursue godly living. God, in this text, calls us to recognize in our own life, are we are we too tolerant with ourselves? Are we too tolerant with our own sin? He says, remove the malice. Remove the evil. Remove this sin within yourself and embrace Jesus Christ. Leave the slavery and know the freedom. But he also calls us not only to judge ourselves, but he calls us to judge others. If we have brothers and sisters in the church and we see them living in a way that clearly violates the law of God, we don't say, no judgments here, this is a safe space. But we go to them humbly, in love, in accordance with Matthew 18, and we lovingly point out their sin. Before doing that, we pray the psalm that we read earlier tonight, Psalm 141, set a guard over my mouth, watch over the door of my lips. And we pray, let a righteous man strike me, it is kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil for my head, let my head not refuse it. If someone comes to us and points out our sin, our first response is not, who are you to judge? Our first response is, let a righteous man strike me. It is kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. We appreciate a godly intolerance from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called to that, that, that righteous intolerance, not to tolerate our own sin, not to tolerate sin in others, but rather to mourn, mourn over the sins that, that affect our lives and the life of the church. We're called to, to recognize the importance of church discipline for the life of the individuals, for the life of the body of the church. And that when, when the elders come in love and concern and they point us to Christ, that once again we embrace Him, we confess our sins and embrace Jesus Christ, what He has done for us, and we are freed from our slavery. And even if it's the case when someone refuses that we hand them over to Satan, it is ultimately still our prayer that they might be saved in the day of the Lord. All of this 
according to the righteous standard of God's Word. The standard nothing less than the Word of God itself, which helps us to know when to be tolerant of different opinions, different ideas, and when to have a godly intolerance. Oh, may God give us that clarity that we never say, no judgments here, safe space, live how you want, but rather we in love say we will remove the leaven of malice and evil and we'll pursue those unleavened lives of sincerity and truth. May God give us a righteous intolerance of sin. Let's join together in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your instructions to your church. Instructions given to your church in Corinth, instructions given to us today. Lord God, it is so different from the ways of the world. The world speaks of no judgment zones, of unlimited tolerance. The world speaks of a safe place. Speak your mind, live how you want. And yet, Lord, that is only a path to slavery upon slavery upon slavery. Thank you, O God, for relieving us from that burden. Thank you for setting us free through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for what he has done for us, that we can now, by the power of your Spirit, pursue lives of holiness, pursue lives of purity, pursue living in a way that will, that will never call the elders to, to bring us to account, that never will call them to come to our door and, and give us the instruction to return to the Lord. Lord God, help us. We are so prone to wander. We're so easy to, to walk away. Help us to stay close to you and close to your holy word. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.